0: 60,000 professionals have been certified as instructors and over 5 million people are now trained in mental health first aid worldwide. So it's starting to really gain some momentum and it's done so in a way that provides people with this framework on how to think about mental health in that first aid type of mentality. So the training provides a framework around how to help somebody, how to identify what needs they might need to get them pointed in a direction for help.
1: Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible. And I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Welcome back to the Want to Work There podcast, friends. Today's conversation is, I think, one of the most meaningful that I've had to date on the podcast. And that's not to say anything about the conversations I've had, but we dive into the topic of mental health in the workplace and it was such an important and just meaningful, impactful conversation that the second we hit stop on the recording session, I immediately welled up, just tears coming down my face. And I think that reaction came from how incredible it is that we are being so honest and so thoughtful about people's mental health, and what that means when you are an employer, what that means when you are a manager, and our responsibility and commitment to each other as human beings. So I am eternally grateful that my guest, Jamie Conrad, came on to have this really important discussion with me. She is actually a new connection, someone that I saw on LinkedIn because she had posted about this mental health first aid certificate that she had just gotten. And immediately I knew that I had to know more about what that was, what that meant. And so we had an incredible conversation. And it doesn't surprise me. She is a very thoughtful human. When she sent over her bio, the very last line just resonated with my soul. She says, her career in HR has truly just been trying to fill her insatiable curiosity about human nature, the power of choice and human potential, and realizing along the way that the more she learns, the less she knows. Ugh, that just hit me in the heartstrings, and now that I've talked with her, I can tell you that that is absolutely who she shows up to be. She is the head of people strategy and HR functions at a tech company called Trust Radius, She had so much to teach me in this conversation, and it was just an absolute joy to have her. So I'm excited to dive into that really quickly. In the meantime, I talked about the launch of our newsletter last week. If you didn't get a chance to sign up and you're interested, it is the same type of information that I'm sharing here, very practical, actionable ways to create better workplaces but different content than what you're getting on the podcast. So if that is the world that you want to more fully immerse yourself in, you can find the newsletter sign up at want to work there slash newsletter. I will also put that in the show notes so you know where to find it. But without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Jamie and just how important it is for mental health awareness and training to be a focus for you and your organization. Hi, Jamie. Thank you for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to be talking with you.
0: Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me today.
1: Absolutely. I reached out because I saw a post that you put up on LinkedIn, and I just knew that it was a conversation worth having on the podcast. But before I dive into all of that, I'd love to talk a little bit about what drew you to your career in HR. Why
0: HR? Gosh, that's an age-old question, right? Why in the world would anyone want to work in HR? Well, I started my career in the manufacturing industry, and part of being in a growing manufacturing organization is that your HR department was going to be trying new things before they rolled out to the rest of the organization. And so I wanted that opportunity to just partner with them and see what kind of things they work on. I was drawn to like some of the communications that they would put out and why and, you know, some of the philosophies around what they were doing And so I got that opportunity. So anytime that that organization wanted to put something out from their HR department or try a program, they would partner with my department. We would trial it for them, provide them with feedback, and then they would make adjustments or maybe they wouldn't wouldn't roll it out at all if it was you know, not so great. But it was really cool to be a, a partner to them and to help them and to see their processes and kind of how they work. And I was just really intrigued by it ever since then. And so when I relocated to Austin and went back to work after maternity leave, I started working with a very small organization. You know, at the beginning, everybody does everything. Just whatever needs done gets done because it's so small. And as they grew, I found myself drawn to that HR and people side. And so when they decided to finally put in place a direct HR professional I said, hey, can I just have a shot at it before you hire somebody from outside? They graciously gave me the opportunity and I've been in it ever since. So loving every minute of it.
1: I love that. And I've asked this question to a lot of people over the years and I've yet to find someone that said, I went to school for HR and then I ended up in people ops. (laughs) It's always this winding path of how we land, where we land. But your story actually made me think, I have been in the startup space for most of my career, and you're just sort of understanding of piloting things. I had a moment where I was like, oh, man, startups, we move so fast. Mm -hmm. I know we didn't pilot things very often. It was sort of like, okay, we're doing this thing. Everybody's (laughs) doing it. Do you still pilot things? Try to. Try to. It's such a good practice.
0: Yeah. Depending on what I'm trying to launch, you know, and what type of feedback I'm looking for, I may have more in depth conversations with one of our executives or their team before I will roll something out to the organization. I think it's good practice. Plus, it builds really good relationships in the amongst the executive members. So I think it's good practice. And and I try to still do that to this day.
1: No, it's so smart and it helps with buy-in because when it's not just coming from you and the people team, it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Good food for thought. So I'd also love to hear what is the best part of your job and what's the hardest part of your job?
0: (laughs) Well, the best part of my job, I think, is getting to hear people's ambitions, like where they're at and where they're trying to go. And then helping them realize that it doesn't have to be a dream for someday, that they can actually put things in place right now to help start building towards what that end goal for them looks like. As just part of my personality, whenever I've been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's always been, I want to be CEO. And I don't know if I ever will be CEO. I don't know if I'll ever get there or if I even want it at this stage of my career, right? Because I really enjoy HR. But that's always like my personality. I'm going to shoot for the moon and see how close I can get. And so I think that's part of what I love about being in HR is that I get to help people in that same mentality, right? What's your shoot for the moon? And then what can we start to put in place now that's going to help you get there someday or help you realize that that is not what I want to do after all. And here's what I want to do instead. (laughs) hardest part or or least favorite is probably just the complexity around the state guidance and the laws and the compliance. I very much appreciate compliance and structure from a process standpoint, but the laws that we're putting in place here in the United States is challenging and it really bogs down the people ops function. And and kind of keeps them confined and focused on things that aren't necessarily helping the organization thrive and helping employees thrive. It's just helping them be compliant with the state regulations for the states that they have employees in. And I don't think that does a service anymore. That's traditional HR. That's how it used to be. But we're supposed to be focused on the human aspect. Right. And so some of these state laws just get us distracted from the actual culture and the employee experience that we could be strategically partnering and supporting along the way. So while I understand the importance of it and I respect it, I still feel like there's some challenges there that I don't think are necessary.
1: Oh, it's taking everything within me to not go down this rabbit hole because <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever heard someone say, that some of these are not necessary. Yeah. So when I think of compliance, which is the part that is my least favorite too, and I think that tends to be the least favorite part for a lot of people who are very people-centric, mm-hmm. I've never heard someone actually say that some of it's really probably not necessary anymore. So, all right, that may have to be a future podcast <laughs> conversation because I want to dig at that more. But today we are here to talk about mental health and mental health in the workplace and what leaders' roles, especially in people ops, what those roles are looking like in today's workforce and how we're sort of relating to people and employees around this topic. And so I saw on LinkedIn, like I said, that you had taken this mental health first aid certification. And it stopped me from scrolling because I went, what is that? I want to know more. I want to understand who this is for, what it looks like. So that is why I reached out. And I would love for you to tell us, as someone who's taken this certification course now, what is the
0: certification? So it is a first aid type certification. The Mental Health First Aid Group, they first started in Australia back in 2001, founded by Betty Kitchener and Anthony Jorm. They came together to form a nonprofit health promotion charity it was focused on research and then the training of various aspects around mental health from a first aid perspective. There's global presence in 24 different countries. 60,000 professionals have been certified as instructors and over 5 million people are now trained in mental health first aid worldwide. So it's starting to really gain some momentum. And it's, Done so in a way that provides people with this framework on how to think about mental health in that first aid type of mentality. So think of somebody that you know is in crisis, or you can tell there's something wrong, right? And you're not exactly sure what it is, but you're trying to figure it out. You want to help. The training provides a framework around how to help somebody, how to identify what needs they might need to get them pointed in a direction for help that can be helpful and impactful to them and what they're going through. Mm,
1: I didn't put two and two together, and and this is a perfect sort of bridge for me, the crisis part. Mm -hmm. So I spend so much time personally, it's a topic that I'm really passionate about, mental health, and how that sort of shows up and how we dialogue about it in the workplace, I spend so much time around, you know, the destigmatizing side of it and sort of talking about it in preventative measures or before someone is in crisis. But you're right. I always go to CPR. Like I got CPR training when I was a babysitter. And you're right. It's crisis. It's when a crisis situation emerges. What tools do you have in your toolbox to be able to support someone?
0: Correct. Yeah. And this is along the same lines. It doesn't have to be crisis, but I find that just when I went through the training, it came across as especially helpful in a crisis situation. When I bring it back to how I see it, I've had some experiences in HR, and I'm sure other people leaders have too, where you're just not exactly sure what is going on. And especially in a remote environment, you know, so many organizations went remote over the pandemic. Some of them still are. How do you assess when you can't feel the person next to you, when you can't give them a hug, when you can't really interact and you're looking on a Zoom call? What are some of those things that you can have in your toolbox that help you dissect what is happening on the other end of this video call? How is This person, what is their mental state? Are they going to be able to get off of this call and process? Or is there going to be something else that happens and it could be an issue? Right. And so the mental health first aid certification is meant for that crisis, but it doesn't have to be that far involved either. Right. I think I've learned a good framework that I can put in place, even when we're talking about, you know, performance issues. Is there something underlying in this that I could help to rule out, okay, there's not something or, you know, maybe there is something and we need to take this conversation in a different direction. So it just kind of builds the confidence. So it's kind of like knowing CPR. If you're ready for the situation and you're trained in a situation, you feel more confident and comfortable when you're in the situation to navigate it appropriately. This is no different. I mean, I
1: think so many coworkers. so I think about this for people ops and leadership team members, but also managers, like exactly what you said. We are more and more in a remote first environment. How we relate to people is different and the way that we communicate is different. What were some of the things that you took away from this in terms of being able to complete the training and, and come out on the other side?
0: Yeah, I think the best part about the training is just some interventions that are learned, but the framework specifically, so they call it the ALGE, it's A-L-G-E-E, where it helps you to assess for risk of suicide or harm. So thinking about it being in that crisis moment, how to listen non-judgmentally, how to give reassurance and information, how to encourage people to seek appropriate professional help. And then how to encourage self-help and other support strategies that individual might need. And it's all very individualized how you apply that framework, right? Based off of what you're experiencing from the other person, whether it's suicidal thoughts, panic attacks, depression, where they don't want to get out of bed in the morning, possible self-injury, right? Every situation is going to be a little bit different. But that framework helps you to assess just how much of a crisis situation is it? and then where to go from there.
1: And what are some of the signs that you were taught to look for? So I totally hear you. Individual, absolutely, shows up different ways for different people. Were there some underlying signs that you now sort of look for if you're having conversations?
0: So I definitely look for how engaged do they feel, even in a remote environment, right? Are they able to process what I'm saying? Or does it look like there's something that's preventing them from processing what I'm saying? I unfortunately had a situation a couple of years ago with an employee where we just couldn't figure out why we couldn't get them to communicate. They would get on a Zoom call, but they wouldn't be able to actually speak during the Zoom call. And what was going on? You know, I wish I would have had the first aid certification then, right? So I could better assess where they were at and what they were going through. So how are they able to engage you, if at all? And then what does that look like? Repeating back things that they've said so they can hear it, that also can help. I also, just like if we were in an office, do they look like they're put together? Right? And I don't mean makeup's perfect, hair's perfect. I just mean, do they look like they rolled out of bed and... Is there a reason for that, right? Maybe they're not feeling well. Is this the first time that that's happened? Is this the second, the third, the 24th time, right? And so where in that process are they? And how often is that showing up? Is it showing up on client calls and some of those types of things? So, you know, it does. It breaks down different mental health disorders and then kind of talks about what they are and what to look for as part of the training.
1: Which is such a huge powerful tool to have yeah. as anyone who's interacting with team members. Being a great manager is hard. Like, really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house... Could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training. A self led, reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates. And an internal facilitation plan for cohort style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned one circumstance. Was there a reason in particular that you decided to get the certification?
0: I don't think there was one reason specifically, but I've been CPR trained. You know, I worked in healthcare. I recognize the need for CPR training and how effective it can be in those moments And to me, it was just an extension of that. If I'm going to be CPR certified, why in the world wouldn't I want to be mental health certified, first aid certified, and just see it kind of as an extension of what I can bring to an organization, what I can bring to those people that I love, right? It's not just about in the workplace. It's about in your communities and your families as well. And so if that can make me a better human being, why wouldn't I go for it, right? It's that's just part of who are you.
1: I mean, I wish everybody had the certification. I think Me too. <laughs> we would all be, I know right? In a perfect world everybody is able to get this certification. I wish we were there. I think, you know, there is a cost barrier to getting this certification, which is just part of getting, you know, and keeping the organization up and running, which I totally believe in, but it means that you're probably not going to get your entire company certified in this in your opinion having taken it and knowing what you do just about you know, your past career and and who you're interacting with, who do you think are the most important people to have the certification? Who are the team members you should focus on first?
0: Yeah, I think if you're going to focus first, it's in the managers and the frontline supervisors. You know, they're the ones that are interacting with employees every single day. They know what Is normal behavior and what's not, right? So when I feel like I've walked into a conversation where somebody's just rolled out of bed, that may be something I need to look for later. But a manager may know that they do that every day and that's just normal and they're, you know, that's not hindering their performance. That's not, it's just who they are and that's completely fine, right? And so it's important for those managers and those frontline supervisors who are the most critical relationship for an employer and employee. Those are the people that should be certified and and have the tools that can make them more confident in diagnosing what may be going on if they start to see things that aren't common or aren't part of that person's normal behavior. Is it important for HR professionals? Of course, I'm going to say that, right? (laughs) I want all of my peers to have this first aid certification in mental health and help their organizations, especially when it comes to your first-time people leaders on your management team right? Even if they are first aid certified in uh, mental health, they're still going to need some support, right? And you're going to still need to help coach them and guide them through these situations. So I absolutely think people, teams, and and benefit leaders should consider getting the certification. But if I had to boil it down, I would say start with your managers first.
1: I call management the hardest unacknowledged job in a company. I mean, Mm -hmm. we often talk about how hard it is to be a CEO or on a leadership team. We talk about how hard People Ops is, which it is. There's no Mm -hmm. denying any of those Mm -hmm. things. But managers, especially in, you know, I think the last decade and and definitely through the pandemic, I mean, their role has become so important in the sense that we're no longer in, you know, a command and control. I tell you what to do. You do the thing. We are very much more now in a relational, in a coaching-based management style, at least more and more companies are adopting that. And what that creates is real relationship. And so these managers have this direct line to people every single day. These people, they may spend more time with their manager than they do with their family, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. I very much agree with you. And I think you know, managers, we are still not giving them enough support. They are being asked to hold space in a whole new way. And I just don't think we are Giving them the tools that they need. So I love that idea that this is a certification that we could start focusing on managers having because it ultimately, at the end of the day, is not only going to be a better support for the teams that they're leading, but for them, for the managers Mm -hmm. themselves, because this is a lot to hold in any space for sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I also wanted to touch real quick on the idea that you mentioned a couple minutes ago about. The cost associated with it, the cost varies for the certification depending on the instructor and what state you're in. But there are several instructors that will pay for the courses and do it on a pro bono basis. There are also some instructors that have applied for and received grants to help with taking away the stigma around mental health and the conversation. And so there are some of these certification courses that are free or the cost is paid for in some other way, I would challenge you to take a look for you know some of those resources that are out there. And the Mental Health First Aid National Council for Mental Wellbeing on their website, they have those courses. So if you look for certification training in your area, look for the funding source some of those funding sources are going to be listed as not applicable, which means you have to pay for it. And then some of them are going to be listed with a specific funding source. And if you click on those for registration, there's quite a few that end up being $0. I have goosebumps. Yes, (laughs) So excited about this
1: information. Thank you. Because in the preliminary research that I did, I didn't make that connection. That's a huge game changer. And we will definitely link to some of the places on the site that you just talked about. I know people need to go location specific. I'm assuming there's probably some remote virtual options too. Yes, But we Mm -hmm. will link to all of those because wow, if we can get some more people trained... You know, if a company has the resources, pay for it. It obviously yeah. goes in to fund, you know, Correct. these other teams that don't have it. So I'm all about, you know, paying for it when you can. But if you are in a place where you know your team needs support and you can't afford it, it's not in the budget at this exact minute, it's there's still options. So, Absolutely. wow. Yay. <laughs> That's great. All right. And then I'm curious, you know, this is great. People have this certification. You also talked about and mentioned, and I should say, people have the option to take the certification potentially at no cost, which mm-hmm. opens up way more accessibility than what I originally thought there was. You also mentioned that when you were in the training, it sounded like there were some resources that you learned to sort of point people to if they were in mental health crisis. Are there any of those that you'd be willing to share just where you would point people who are actually experiencing any sort of mental health needs?
0: Yeah, specifically around the crisis, the idea of it being in crisis, the National Suicide Hotline. They had us program it into our phones right there as part of the class, right? So that it's on speed dial, you know exactly where it's at. Again, one of those small things that you don't really think about that can help boost your confidence. It also allows you, if you've got somebody on a call, that you feel like is in a crisis moment, you can three-way call and call in on behalf. Uh, You can call into that Mm -hmm. national suicide hotline or a couple of the other hotlines and say... I'm calling because I am on a three-way call or I've got somebody on a Zoom call here with me that seems to be in crisis mode and is thinking about hurting themselves. Can I hand them over to you or can I patch them in with you so that you can have this conversation with them? And absolutely, they say yes every time, right? It helps to facilitate so that it's right there. It's at your fingertips. And there are other hotlines. Some of them are local Right. So making sure you know who to call on the local side if you're talking to someone in your local area. You know, obviously I'm in Austin, Texas, so I programmed in a couple for the Austin, Texas area. But I also have where I'm at now employees in 26 states. So my homework was to go away and find those local resources for the employees in the various states that we provide support, you know, that may need support in their local areas and craft a document for the People Apps team to have at their fingertips so that if we find ourselves in situations. And then share it out with our managers, right? That's our next step. We want to share that out with managers. If you have an employee that's in crisis and you're in the moment, you can call me or here's a list of resources that you can pull in to help you. So even though they haven't gone through the certification yet, helping them to know that we've got a plan, they can feel confident that their people apps department is taking those steps to provide resources to the employees and that we're here to help guide them through it as well until they can get their certifications.
1: Oh my gosh. That is the most powerful thing. I think that any organization could do this month. One as individuals, I will be now programming the national suicide hotline into my phone after this call. And we will put that number in the show notes. And I encourage everybody who is listening to this episode to do the same This is not the same, but similar. I had an incident where I locked my dog in the car a Mm -hmm. few months back and the Mm -hmm. panic, it was like, I knew 911. And so that ultimately ended up being what I called, but it was like that panic of like, what do I do? And so you're right. Just that being prepared and having some sort of guidance in the moment when it feels really big and really hard, Mm -hmm. that's huge. And I love that you are putting together that resource based in the states that you're in, one of the things when I was in my last director of people role was trying to figure out like through our insurance, what exists? (laughs) What type of mental health support exists? How do we talk about it? How do we make sure our team knows it's available? But I think there is this next step too, which is how do we support managers, whether it's through the insurance or like you're saying, there are resources available locally. Just giving them that as sort of a guide could go a really long way. And that's something that anybody could do whether you're a manager listening to this, people ops person, anybody could take that and sort of run with. What does this look like for our company to have? I really like that.
0: Absolutely, and highly encourage you to do that. If you're in a people ops leader role, if you're in a executive or managerial role, there's no reason that we can't all do it together. So,
1: yes, the more people that we have involved, the better, and the more accessible we make talking about this stuff, the better, for sure. So. How do you sort of see, you know, you've already talked about some of the takeaways that you had that you are proactively bringing to the company. Is there anything else that you see being certified really supporting you in as you kind of move through your career?
0: You know, it helps to establish framework for training inside, not just from a first aid standpoint, but from opening up conversations. I think taking away the stigma is a big part of what, we're facing as a society here in the United States anyway. And so anything that we can do to break down those barriers, to make it okay to talk about, to make it okay to share if you have a diagnosis so that you're not scared all the time of what is going to happen. If I tell my employer, if I tell my manager, if I tell HR, am I going to lose my job, right? is the first thing. Am I going to lose my job? That's horrible. Somebody that's experiencing a mental health situation or has a disorder or an illness, and that's the first thing that they worry about, that's deplorable, right? We can do better than that. And so I think for me, it's about the awareness aspect, which is why I'm so excited to be here talking to you about this today and making that one of the strong pillars of what do I represent in my thought leadership? What do I represent in my profession? And how can I help to make that one of those areas that I can have a direct influence over? So this certification is one more way for me to have something to talk about, or something to help with a manager, or as I go through mentorship and mentee relationships with other HR professionals, it's one of those things that I'll encourage every single one of them to take and and to look at and possibly bring back to their organizations, because that's the ripple effect that something like this can have. And that's the ripple effect that we need to continue to promote. And so this is one of my pillars.
1: I mean, I said this at the beginning of the episode that this is just something that is near and dear to me is is something that I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about. And in my last role, you know, I personally have... I'm not even going to say suffered. I've personally had depression and anxiety since I... Probably forever and always, but diagnosed since I was in college. In the last year or so, I've also been diagnosed with ADHD. And when I was in my last role... I think one of the biggest gifts, I've said this often, that my parents ever gave me truly is that they made it not only okay to talk about mental health, but that they shared their own journey with me with mental health. They made it okay for me to see a therapist. They made it okay for me to explore medication. That was such a gift. And I've seen it play out differently with many friends who that wasn't the home that they grew up in. And so the last... Role that I was in when it was full company, and I had a pretty, I felt like I had this stage because I would do most of the all hands conversations every week. You know, one of the things I am most proud of from my time in that role, and we did a lot of stuff, (laughs) but one of the things that I am most proud of is that every single week, for the most part, we would mention mental health, we would talk about what resources were available. We would tell people that they should check in on their own mental health, check in on the mental health. And granted, this was during the pandemic, but also it was something that from the very first day, I wanted to have some safety around that topic in the organization. And I can tell you that without a doubt, me making that a topic allowed more people than I think would have come to me and come to other leaders in the company to disclose and share when they needed some additional support or something was going wrong and it still is i mean the proudest thing that i have and i think people underestimate how impactful it can be to talk about it on a regular basis and not just like hey we made this resource and we shared it in all hands once and like you know we're very pro mental health and do that if you haven't done that yet mm-hmm. <laughs> but there i think there's something to be said i literally would end every all hands meeting with like Make sure and take care of your mental health this weekend and go hug a tree. (laughs) Go get out in nature. We were a tech company, so we were all at our computers most of the time. But I think there is, like you said, such an importance in destigmatizing and talking about it. And I hope that everybody takes these next steps that you've already talked about in this episode and does these very concrete things. And if nothing else, that they follow your lead in talking more about this on a regular basis. People need to hear it again and again to really believe that it is safe. It can't just be a message (laughs) that goes out once a year or twice a year. So sorry, I'm off my soapbox now, but I just feel very, very passionate about this topic. So,
0: Yes, thank you for sharing that. It takes a lot of courage to come out and talk about diagnoses. And so I really appreciate you you having the courage to, to say that, that. That helps others to be able to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have shared a ton of things. You've talked about a ton of tools. You have talked about different ways that people can kind of approach this topic. Is there anything in particular that you really hope people take away from this episode?
0: I think the the most important part is the breaking down the stigmas, right? It's great to go get the certification. It's great to have that in your toolbox. It's great to take that to your organization. But if you don't talk about it and make it part of your regular conversations, it's not going to be as impactful as it could be. So I think that's the most important part. My father was diagnosed with schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia. And the impact that that's had on our relationship over the years is phenomenal. And so I too have a very close, passionate viewpoint on mental health and the impact that just having the conversations can have to provide those psychological safe environments and to know where you can get resources and how you can get resources and not be afraid of having the conversation. So, if there's anything that any one listener can do, it's be okay talking about it as you walk away from this podcast. Hmm.
1: I love that. And if you're not ready to talk about it in a company, talk to yeah. a friend. Yes. It doesn't have to be that full big jump, but yeah. it's something. Uh, well, I hope that everybody does take that away. And, Jamie, I am just so glad that the internet put us in each other's paths and that we got to have this conversation. I think it's honestly one of my favorites to date. And I think that this is going to be just a really important message to go out on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. Is there anywhere that you want to direct people if they want to stay in touch with you or get to know you more? Where would you send people?
0: Yeah, I would send people to LinkedIn. My profile is there. I'm very public with my personal information. Feel free to reach out in any way that you're comfortable. I firmly stand in the my tagline of humans, not resources. And so when people reach out, it is with that aspect and that ideology that we are humans in this together. So love to expand network, love to talk to people. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can help, if you want to chat if you just want to explore ideas together or if you just want to follow. Oh,
1: well, that's amazing. And I have no doubt that there will be some people taking you up on that. So Jamie and I will see you in the LinkedIn world. And until then, I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their day. Thanks so much, Jamie.
0: Thanks, Jill. I appreciate it.
1: This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know, I see you. I believe in you and keep going. The work you're doing really matters.